When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 91. When you tell your company's story, you want to give them the full story. Meaning, if you've got Achilles heels, if you've got issues in your business, tell the story around those. Welcome to a real-world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. How's it going, everybody? I am Jay Scott, your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, coming to you again this week with my lovely, 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 lovely co-host, wife and partner in crime, Miss Carol Scott. How's it going today, Carol Scott? Going a little bit crazy already. Gotta be honest with you, right? I cannot even believe we're only three weeks into the new year with the amount of stuff that we've been doing with the new businesses. People are starting so much activity out there everywhere. It's absolutely unbelievable what an amazing trajectory people are on and it makes me so happy and so excited for so many other great things ahead so loving every minute of it yeah absolutely we've had a bunch of people who apparently a lot of people in our community have started their businesses they're running their businesses well and are thinking about selling i've had a number of people reach out to me and say hey can you do another show on what i need to do to prepare to sell my business. And so after getting several of those requests, we went and we found the perfect person. And his name is Chris Younger. And he is the founder of a company called Class Six Partners, which is an investment bank that focuses on helping entrepreneurs and business owners both raise money and then ultimately sell their business when the time comes to sell their business. And he's here with us today to talk all about everything we need to know to sell our business, but more importantly, to talk about all those things we need to know to get ready to sell our business before we do. And this applies to investors who are running a successful business right now. It implies it, it applies to business owners who are just starting their businesses, business owners who may be just thinking about starting their businesses. And we even have a discussion about what if you're running a business right now and things aren't going too well because of COVID or for whatever other reason, and you're looking to get out through a sale. Can you do that? So we, we have a great discussion. So whether you're thinking of starting a business, you're starting a business, or you're thinking of selling your business, you're going to love this episode. Now, here's a little quiz for anybody out there listening and maybe thinking about selling their business at some point in the near future or the long future, how long do you think it takes? How, many, how much time and effort do you think goes into getting your business ready for sale? Well, we have a great discussion about this, and that number might surprise you. So stay tuned and listen for that. Also, we talk about the three things you need to consider when trying to decide when's the right time to sell your business. We talk about how to value your business, so how to figure out what your business might be worth if you want to go sell it today or tomorrow or next year. And make sure you listen for a great discussion we have around why selling your business at its peak 
is not only a difficult thing to do, but it's also something you probably don't want to do even if you could. I know that goes against all conventional wisdoms. We always think, hey, we need to sell our business when it's worth the most. But Chris gives us several reasons why that may not be the case. Now, if you want to learn anything more about Chris, if you want to learn about his business, Class 6 Partners, or anything we talk about on this program, check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow91. Again, that's biggerpockets.com slash bizshow91. Okay, without any further ado, let's welcome Chris Younger to the show. Chris, thank you for being here today on the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. You have so much expertise in an area that is going to serve our community so well. So we're so looking forward to chatting with you today. Happy to be here. And thanks for doing what you guys do for entrepreneurs. Thank you. I appreciate it. And again, yeah, last Carl said, thank you so much for being here and, and providing your expertise. For our listeners in our community who may not be familiar with you and your company's Class 6 Partners, can you give us some backstory on who you are, where you came from, what you've done in the past, and, and what you and your company are currently doing now? You bet. So Class 6 Partners is really a, it's a financial services firm that is uh, that serves entrepreneurs. And so the core of our business is an investment bank. And so that helps businesses either sell or raise capital. But we have a family office where we manage money for entrepreneurs that we have sold businesses for. And then we also have a, a planning division, which is really designed to help entrepreneurs before they ever try to go down the path of, of doing a capital transaction or selling their company, it's hey, how do we help them get ready for that event? It's a big event and we know that preparation is going to lead to success. And so that's really our exit or transition planning piece of the business. My background, I'm a, a recovered attorney. I've, I've been through all 12 steps, so don't have to worry. I practiced for a couple of years out in Silicon Valley and then managed I was the one of the uh, founders and helped. I was the acquisition lead for a roll-up in the communication sector. And through that, I uh, we acquired. I was the lead acquisitions person. We acquired 27 companies over a couple-year period. And so uh, I like to say I learned quite a bit. And I and I used to be a lot taller than I am now, having kind of gone through the acquisitions and then. Uh, uh, after we completed the 27th acquisition, which was a division of Lucent, I moved into the COO or the chief operating officer and president role. And so my reward for doing all those deals was I had to integrate them all. So in any event, we, we did that. And then we sold that business to uh, Avaya, which was one of our main uh, vendors. That, that business was a value-added reseller, the one that we built. And then tried to retire for a year or two. Uh, my wife decided I needed a hobby. And so we started our investment bank. And uh, it was my partner and I, and then, you know, today we have about 20 people in the business and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Our mission is to enable the entrepreneurial spirit. We believe so strongly in what entrepreneurs do for this country and for our communities. They're, you know, they're the biggest hirers of talent. They're the biggest drivers of our economy. And so, you know, we, we view our role as, Hey, if, if we can help them, you know, get a better outcome or realize you know, a, a nice gain from all the blood, sweat, and tears, then we've done our jobs. And it's been a lot of fun. Like I said, we, we love working with entrepreneurs. 
Super. Love this. And Chris, you've clearly been on both sides, the buy side and the sell side of entrepreneurial ventures, of large enterprises and everywhere in between, right? Today, we're really going to focus on the selling side of it, not necessarily the buy, the sell side, the exit side. So I've heard you make this analogy that to be successful in exiting your business, you truly need to be preparing for it like a marathon. So can you talk to us some more about that, please? Yeah, if, if you're deciding to run a marathon, the last thing you want to do is the day of put on your running shoes for the first time and, and go out and try to run 26.2 miles. And uh, transactions are similar. They are they're arduous processes. The level of due diligence that buyers do today is significant. Um, and if you're not prepared, it's going to be a really unpleasant experience for you. Um, even if you get your deal closed, the odds that that was the best deal you could have done are really, are really low. And the pain of that process will be significant. You know, they're going to ask hundreds and hundreds of questions over and over again. And they're going to ask for pretty much every document that you've ever created as a business. They're going to dig into your financials. And so like training for a marathon, you really, you need to, start well before the race in terms of what's your training regimen, what's your diet regimen? Do you have somebody that can help you through it and identify, hey, this is how much you should be running this day and this day and this day and next week. If you don't do those things ahead of time, just like you know, on our end, if, you're, if you haven't prepared yourself, if you haven't prepared your business and you simply are reacting when it comes time to sell your business, you know, you're really going to sell yourself short. It's not going to be a a great experience. And like I said, you're going to leave money on the table. And yet that's really what it's all about. It's about not leaving money on the table at the end of the day. And so I know that a lot of entrepreneurs think that, and, and especially those who are doing this for the first time, they think, okay, when the time's right, when it's time to sell my business, I know I'm going to have a lot of work to do, but that's a tomorrow problem or a next year problem or a 10 years from now problem. Instead of thinking, okay, I can start doing this work up front. I can prepare so that when the time comes, everything's basically done and wrapped up and 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 then I can focus on the sale. So can you talk to us a little bit about what are those specific things or, or maybe uh, start with the big areas that entrepreneurs should be thinking about when it comes to doing the right things now to preparing their business for sale later? You bet. A big chunk of it has to do with thinking about, hey, what condition does my business need to be in to maximize value? What is it that I need to be doing today that will give me, quite frankly, the best return on my time and and money that I've invested in my business? And when you think about business value, it really is the opposite of perceived risk, meaning the higher the perceived risk from an investor in your business, the lower they're going to value the business. And so, you know, one of the things we focus on heavily with clients that are two or three, four years away from selling is trying to diagnose, hey, what are the specific risks in your business? And are the things that we could be doing today that would allow us to be in a different position two or three or four years down the road and make that business more valuable? I'll give you an example we have a a tool that we use that helps us assess businesses. And about 90% of businesses that we have assessed, the business is too dependent on the owner. Meaning if that owner left, the business would be in worse shape. 
And if you think about it from a buyer's perspective, when that owner cashes the check after the sale, their motivations change, right? I mean, it, as much as you would love to rely on them to have the same level of drive and energy to build value in that business, it's probably going to be a little bit different. And as a result, and if, if you haven't built your team, that business is going to be a lot less valuable than if, for example, you were more of an absentee owner and you had a team that was running that business that was going to be the same team running the business after the deal was done. It's just a lot less risky business. And that business will trade for one or two or three more turns on EBITDA or you know, increase in value for that business. So the first thing we look at is understanding, hey, what are the risks in the business that we could do something about? The second thing you want to be very intentional around is what is my growth plan? Not only for the next two or three years, but for the period of time after the acquisition happens, because you're going to be asked to describe in, in, in decent detail and be able to support, hey, why is this business going to continue to grow? And so that combination of understanding the risks in your business and then how you're going to be able to grow that business with a credible growth plan you know, are both really, really important elements to, to start to prepare for. We estimate that to take a business to market, to prepare your story, right, to put all your diligence materials together, to put your growth plan together, to identify your buyers, to kind of get the package ready, it's about 1,500 hours of work. So when you think about that, if you're a business owner and you know, as you said, Jay, if you're going to try to do that only when it's time to sell, think about trying to cram your time and your team's time into two or three months versus if you can spread that out over two or three years, much more manageable. The, you know, in our experience, those businesses that start two or three years ahead of time and are disciplined and are methodical and thoughtful, they're going to get way better results. They're going to get more money. The transaction's going to be easier. It's going to be faster. They're going to have you know fewer headaches. That makes perfect sense. So can you talk to us a little bit more, Chris, about you mentioned this process that should be started maybe two or three years or maybe even four or five at some point ahead of time um, from when you're thinking about selling. So how do we as business owners really know when it is the right time to sell? How do you know if you're a year out or a decade out or how do you even begin to plan around that? Yeah, it's tricky, right? Because this decision around when you sell your business is it's kind of there's kind of three facets to it. One is just personal timing. And that could be created by a health crisis, right? Which is not predictable. It could be created by a desire to start another business. It could be created by, hey, I'm, I'm ready to retire and do something different. So this personal timing, which again, it, while it's probably the easiest for somebody to evaluate, it's still a really, really important element. I think related to personal timing is, you know, if this is going to be your retirement, right, if, if you're going to sell this business and rely on that capital to fund the rest of your life, you really need to be doing some planning personally to know what's that number and how does my current business value compare to that? Because, you don't, what you wouldn't want to do is go through this arduous process, sell your company and then end up with less money than you needed where you had to go back to work. That's a, that would be a horrible answer. So understanding what you need. So that's the personal timing. And, and again, for every individual, that's, that's going to be different. And it's you know one of the questions that we always ask entrepreneurs is, hey, what is the sale of the business going to make possible that's not possible today? 
and be very, very clear about that. So that's personal timing. The second element is what I call business timing. And a lot of entrepreneurs feel like, you know, I want to sell my business at the very peak right before maybe growth stalls or earnings start to dissipate. And I would tell you that's a, that's a mistake. Number one, the ability to actually time when your business is, quote, peaking is really difficult. As most business owners know, there's a lot of unpredictability in operating and owning a business. But number two, if you were, let's say you were, you executed that strategy perfectly. So you sold your business at its peak, the new buyer comes in and you've transitioned over your team, you've transitioned over your customers, you've transitioned over your brand. And right after closing, the business performance starts to deteriorate. Everybody's going to be unhappy. The buyer's going to be unhappy. Your team, they had to downsize because the business performance lagged. Your team's going to be unhappy. And we've had enough experience with business owners to know that, yeah, you, you, you may have left some marginal dollars on the table, which is not great, but it's not catastrophic. But the psychic value of delivering your company to a great new owner with a great plan that's going to continue to do well is worth way more than the incremental dollars would be. So there's business timing. And what we would say is, hey, really get your business performing well and sell on the way up so that the buyer is also going to have success with that business. That's a good answer for everybody. The final piece I would add to that, if a buyer is unhappy after the purchase of the business because its performance deteriorates, you know, you're more likely to be involved in litigation, which is not a good, not a good answer for anybody. And then the final piece is market timing, which is probably the hardest to gauge, which is, hey, when is the market or the buying market going to be most conducive to getting the best deal that I can? And the reason this is difficult is you could pick today as an example, you could say, hey, it's, it's a relatively good market, notwithstanding what we've gone through with the pandemic. You know, we're seeing a lot of deals get done and valuations are, are pretty reasonable. The challenge is when you decide to go through this process, it's not the market today that matters. It's the market in six to nine to 12 months when you actually close your deal that matters. So that's relatively unpredictable. So we, we end up focusing on more personal timing, business timing, and then we'll evaluate the market. Obviously, if the market is terrible today, it's probably not a great time to enter into this process. But if you see it start to recover, hey, that, that could be helpful for you. So you talked a couple times about the value of the business. And obviously for, well, most entrepreneurs and business owners selling their business, is in, in, the goal is to make as much money as possible. <laughs> If I'm thinking about selling my business today and I have no idea what my business is worth, obviously I know how much revenue it's generating. Maybe I know how much net income it's generating. I know what my margins are. How do I take that information and kind of figure out what my business might be able to, to sell for on, on the market today? Yeah, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, there are, there's, you know, hundreds of tools on the internet, right? Where you could put your numbers in, put your industry code in, and they'll tell you, hey, this is the range that your you know, businesses in your industry would typically sell for. Unfortunately, I, I do think those give an entrepreneur a kind of a false sense of certainty and clarity. Because if you think about, let's take uh, software businesses, for example, you know, the range in value for a software business could be six or seven times EBITDA or earnings. 
all the way up to, you know, we've had deals in the 18 to 20 times. Well, what makes the difference between this business that sells at six times and the business that sells at 18 or 20 times. And that comes down to a, a kind of a qualitative assessment, like we were talking before, of, hey, what's the risk level in that earning stream of that company? You know, how risky is that earning stream? Do I have customer concentration? Do I have a, you know, do I have a weak management team? Um, do I have, are my lead sources too concentrated? Do I have environmental issues? There's, you know, we we, we look at about 90 different risks that a business could have, and that helps you start to dial in, hey, is this business a 6, 6X? Is this an 18X type business? And going into that calculation, particularly for software businesses, you know, you look at the revenue streams. Are they recurring? Are they contracted? Are they long-term contracts? Or are these one-off sales that I've got to go generate new ones next week to be able to make my numbers? So I wouldn't rely too heavily on just taking your financials and putting them into a, you know, a, a, a tool online and getting that. I do think you can talk to um, brokers or investment banks and get a sense for, hey, what's the range of multiples in a particular industry? And you could do that math for yourself. The one thing that I would suggest, though, is really get some objective assessment of your business. Get some sense from somebody else as to, hey, here's how I would look at your business. You could go to a peer, you could go to a, uh, a, you know, a consultant or an advisor, you could go to a banker, however you want, but get somebody else to look at your business and give you an objective sense for, yeah, here are the things that I see that would degrade value that you really ought to be working on. Okay. And just to clarify, because a lot of our, a lot of our, our community may not be at that point where maybe they haven't even started a business, they're thinking about starting a business and they want to do it right from the beginning. When you say selling for a multiple of EBITDA, what you're saying is basically at the end of the year, the owner is going to have some benefit to him. He's going to make some amount of profit, maybe with some some benefits there. Maybe the company paid for his health insurance. Maybe they paid for his car. But basically, you take all the benefit to the owner, the net income generated to the owner, and some multiple of that, whether it's two or three or five or 20, is going to be the value of the business. And a lot of that's going to be directly related to the type of business in the industry that, that it's in. Is that about right? That, that's exactly right. For example, right, a construction business is going to sell for a lower multiple on earnings than a software business or a, a, even a, a, you know, a consulting type business. So there's, you know, different industries have different profiles. Got it. And, and so safe to say that businesses that have the ability or the potential for massive growth, and you mentioned software industry. I mean, we all know about the the Silicon Valley companies that essentially are generating no income today, but sell for ridiculous multiples because there's quote unquote potential there versus industries that are more um, boring, I guess is, is a good word. Typically exactly. those more boring industries are going to sell for lower multiples. Exactly. No, you, you've put your finger on it, which is, it goes back to, so I, I've got a certain level of risk in my business, but I also need to have a, a growth plan. And those businesses that have a credible, believable, aggressive growth plan are going to sell for more money because they're going to generate more cash flow in the future. Got it. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death 
in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games. Great. So, what about businesses, Chris? Like, for example, clearly we're at the beginning of 2021, so everybody is very hopeful and optimistic. But let's also be realists, right? 2020 may not have necessarily been the most amazing year for a lot of business owners. So, what if? Business, the business is really just not in the greatest situation right now. What if there's not a lot of growth happening? It's not real successful lately. So maybe it was destroyed by COVID or something else. And maybe these businesses have a lot of assets or maybe intellectual property, customer list, good employees. Can those types of businesses still sell? And if yes, what should they be thinking about or doing differently from the other situation where they are in a great growth mode? Yeah, it's a great question. And we have seen it uh, quite a bit. If your business, it's interesting. We sold a couple companies late last year where the opposite phenomenon happened, meaning they benefited from COVID. Um, we had an online learning platform that you know exploded because people were doing that. And, and interestingly, for those buyers, we had to explain, hey, why is it that the, that the earnings that they got during COVID were not just a bump, right? That they were going to be sustained over time. And so you have to spend a lot of time. And likewise, for a business whose earnings have suffered during COVID, I, my first piece of advice would be, I probably would wait some time to see the business come back so that you have a credible argument for why COVID was simply a, a unique event that we're all knocking on wood doesn't happen again, at least in the near term. And so therefore, hey, let's not look at 2020's earnings. Let's look at 2019 and look at 2021 as more indicative of the earning power of the business. And so unfortunately, if you're going to sell a business like that, you're going to have to come up with your story, right? You're going to have to come up with hey, why is this business going to be different going forward? And again, the more evidence you have for that story, the easier it is to tell and the more persuasive you'll be. Perfect. So let's say somebody does have a business, they're in growth mode, and they're thinking, I'm two or three years out from being ready to sell. Maybe I'm a year out from being ready to sell. I'm an overachiever, and I think I can get that 1,500 hours worth of work done uh, in the next six months. What is the process? What is, what's the first step and the second step and the third step that a business owner should be thinking about if they feel like there's, there's this impending event coming up in their near future? Yeah, I, I would look at it in, uh, we, we kind of go through a six-step process on our end to kind of from start to finish, right? And the first one is really understanding where, how is my business situated today, right? How's my business performing financially? Have I done a thorough assessment of the level of risk in my business and address that? So really understanding how is my business positioned today? The second piece that I would, that we would recommend is not just analyzing the business, but analyzing yourself personally. And by this, I mean, not psychoanalysis, but understanding financially, what do I need to get out of this transaction and make sure that that 
marries up with where the business is today. And, and hopefully there's some cushion there, right? Meaning that the business is more valuable than what you need to actually retire. So first step, understand your business, kind of get a sense for where your position. Second step, know where you are personally, what's your number. But I would also encourage you to really, again, think through that question. Hey, what's going to be possible after I close this deal that's not possible today? And I would tell you that if the answer to that is, I've got a fatter bank account, I would spend some more time thinking through that. You want, as a business owner, to be very clear about what your kind of post-closing plan is. Otherwise, it, it leads to unhappiness because you may get something that you don't want. Then the third step is, all right, so I know where the business is. I know where I am. What's the work that I can do, right? If it's two or three years out, you have more time to execute. If it's a year out, a little bit less time, but hopefully plenty of time. But as I go through those top risks in my business, are there things that I can be doing today that will eliminate or mitigate those risks? And if I, if I can't eliminate those risks from my business, can I start to build a story around them? Uh, I'll give you a good example. We had a, a client that um, had big customer concentration problem and customer concentration, meaning about 80% of its revenues came from one big customer. And when we, we took them out to market twice, the first time we took them out, that the fact that 80% of their revenues came from one customer was what we call a dispositive negative, meaning no one was interested in buying the company, even though the, the business was a nice business and it earned really nice profits. So what they did, they obviously, one solution to a customer concentration is I got to sell more customers, but they were in the utility services business. So that makes it really challenging, right? That you'd have to expand geographically and that's a expensive, time-consuming exercise. What they did though was I thought really clever. Instead of having one contract with this large uh, utility, they split that contract up into four contracts, meaning, hey, if if the customer canceled one of those contracts, they still had three left. Then they extended the contracts from being two-year with one-year renewals to seven-year contracts, meaning they start to reduce that risk of that customer disappearing. And then they deepened the relationship throughout the organization, meaning it wasn't just CEO to CEO. You know, it was the COO, the manager of operations and the people in the field building tighter connections with the folks at that customer. And that allowed us to take that business back out and be very, very successful with the transaction. So you, you understand where your business is, you know where you are personally, get to work on the risks in your business and develop your plan around that. Then it's, okay, now let's start preparing. We gotta gather all of our materials for diligence. We need to start to prepare our story, but what is the story that we're gonna tell the market about our business? When you are talking to buyers, you need to understand that they see thousands of businesses every day or every year. And as a result, you, have to figure out how do I make my business stand out? And I'm a firm believer every business is unique and they're uniquely successful in their own way. And so what you want to do is think through how am I going to tell that story so that somebody gets it and they get it quickly so that we can stand out and, and uh, be attractive to them. You also need to, uh, in addition to preparing diligence and getting your story ready, you need to start to prepare all of the kind of materials that you're going to want to present to a buyer. 
and start to source those buyers, right? Identify, hey, who are the most likely buyers for my business and what's the best strategy to reach out to them and get them informed? And then you go to market, you know, you start dialing for dollars, talking to bidders, and then, uh, you know, go through due diligence and execute the purchase agreement and hopefully get done a, a great deal. Yeah, and so now it's pretty clear why this can be a 1,500-hour process. <laughs> I, I assume that it, a process like this requires some core competencies that probably a lot of us entrepreneurs and business owners don't have. And so I know you run a business that helps entrepreneurs and business owners through this process, uh, I assume from beginning to end. I guess you, you can tell us more about that. But let's say our listeners, our community, somebody out there is ready to sell their business. Certainly they can reach out to you or maybe they want to reach out to somebody else. How do they find somebody to help them? What is the, the l- l- let's say they, they want to reach out to you, but maybe they want to reach out to two or three others to, to talk to a couple other people. What should they be Googling? Who should they be looking for? What is the type of person that helps somebody with this? Is it a business broker or is it something else? Yeah, there are really two kind of classes of folks in our industry that help business owners. There's business brokers, which typically handle smaller deals, maybe less than five or 10 million. And then there are what uh, what we do is an investment bank, so our deals are going to be a little bit larger than that. But what I would recommend is, I mean, the decision for which advisor you're going to hire is a really, really important one. Um, this process is emotional. It's kind of a roller coaster. You want to be with somebody who's not only competent, but that you're, quite frankly, going to enjoy working with um, and be able to get along well with because you you don't want to be at odds and you certainly don't you don't want a poor relationship. But I would... I would leverage my contacts, you know, my the lawyers that I know, the accountants that I know, folks that have seen the universe of advisors that you know may be appropriate for you, and then make some recommendations. Um, I don't know that googling, you know, hey, if I Google an investment bank in Denver, our name may come up, but that would be a hard. I don't know that I could tell anybody with a straight face. Yeah, that's how you should pick your investment bank. I would uh, I would rely heavily on advice. A lot of people, particularly entrepreneurs. If they're members of peer groups of some sort, talk to other people that have been through the process. They probably have folks that they would recommend. But it's a, I will say, it's kind of like, you know, we recommend people don't do their own dentistry or even plumbing these days. This process is complicated. There are lots and lots of ways to misstep, you know, and having somebody who's been through it a bunch of times will definitely help you kind of avoid those catastrophic mistakes. Yeah. And when you're talking about a 10 or 50 or $100 million sale, being able to get an extra one or two or three or 5% will not only easily pay for the advisor and the help, but it'll put a whole lot of more money into your pocket. Yeah. It's funny. We always interview uh, our clients after the deal's done. And I think the one of the reasons why people hire an investment bank or a broker is, hey, I, I think they're going to get me more money. And, and believe me, I we obviously make a living doing this, so I believe that's true. But the comment that we get from clients after the deal is done is, yeah, you guys did a great job getting us more money or whatever. But they said, you know, I had no idea just how challenging this was. And there's no way, you know, I, I could have done this on my own. I would have gotten killed. Love that. Love that. Not that someone would have gotten killed, but that you're <laughs> clearly, clearly, yes. but yeah, yeah, that yeah. you are able to provide that much more service and value in that much of an excellent experience and something that can otherwise be extraordinarily daunting. 
Can we follow back up on one additional tactical piece that you mentioned a bit ago that I think our community might be really interested in on a day-to-day basis? You had mentioned, and I think this is probably something that people could be working on as well, that they would have to present not only ultimately to a buyer, but also to the broker, to the advisor, whomever is helping them with the sale of their business. You had mentioned materials, like kind of a package to be presented. And that sounds like something that we in our businesses should be starting on from the very beginning. Can you give us some more insight into some, you know, just tactical tips on what specifically those types of materials are so we're not scrambling at the end to create them? You bet. So first and foremost is having a set of financials that is well put together. Ideally, that those financials are audited, uh, you know, by a by a third party outside the business, and where you have support for each one of those line items. Most entrepreneurs don't believe me, and I, I wish that I could record some of these calls that we have with buyers, but they will literally go month by month, line item by line item, looking for discrepancies. Hey, wh- I saw that your rent expense went up in this particular month and then came back down. Tell me what happened. And so knowing your financials cold, really, really important and understanding, hey, where do I get that information? So when we put materials together, part of that is just this financial package, right? We have the financials, we've got the projection model, it all ties together and, and it's very tight. The second thing is for diligence materials, they're going to need to see every contract you have as a business, uh, with the exception, right? We, if you have a business where you're serving hundreds of thousands of customers and it's all on the same contract, maybe the terms of service on a web page, they just need to see the, that single version. But if you're in a business where you, you, know, you have big customers or big projects, they're going to need to see every contract. They're going to need to see your insurance policies. If you own a building, they're going to want to see environmental studies. They're going to want to see pay histories for every one of your people. And they'll have conversations about all of that. They're going to want to see, again, in addition to contracts and the people, they're going to want to uh, understand if you rely on a supply chain, how secure is that supply chain? Uh, This became really relevant in 2020 when a lot of companies relied on manufacturing in China that you know, for a lot of them got shut down. And so, you know, they're, they're going to literally dive into every piece of your business. Uh, we call it a lead to cash review, right? When, when do I get my lead for new business? And when do I turn that into cash, right? And everything in between, they're going to examine every element of that. We wrote a book a while back called Harvest, um, the definitive guide to selling your company. In the back of that, there's, there's a due diligence checklist. And certainly if anybody wanted one, we're, I'm happy to email it to them. But it it lists all the documents that buyers typically want to see. Awesome. Awesome. Talk to us more about your book, Chris. Oh, Harvest. So we, I think I mentioned, you know, our mission is to enable the entrepreneurial spirit. And we, we wrote the book, my partner and I, because we felt like, you know, this is, this is such an important um, leg of an entrepreneur's journey. And we've seen it where it, a lot of times it's just not managed that well. And so we wrote the book to really educate entrepreneurs. Hey, here's the, here's the process. Here's how businesses are valued. Here's what can go wrong in a transaction. And it's, I think it's a fairly quick read. If you're ever having, ever having trouble sleeping, I think it's a pretty good antidote. So, <laughs> but it's a, I think if you're, whether it's Harvest or another book, I think it's 
it's really, really important for an entrepreneur to get educated on what they're about to embark on because it's, it'll be surprising to them otherwise. And I think the, if they're not prepared, it, it, they'll definitely leave money on the table and it'll be painful. So speaking of the experience potentially being painful or leaving money on the table or not going as well as we had hoped by not becoming as educated as we potentially could up front, everybody loves a good story, right? So we would love, Chris, if you could share any types of stories you may have, whether it's a great story, a great example of going through the process with an outstanding outcome or maybe a not so good story that could have probably been avoided if the upfront work were done differently. Do you have anything like that you might be open to sharing? Uh, sure thing. Well, we have, we call them bad movies, right? We've seen most of the bad movies that can occur in a transaction, but I'll, I'll tell you a good one that happened. And this is the, this is really the prototype of how to do an exit really, really well. It was a, a business owner. He ran a consumer products company in the pet industry. And at the time, the business, it probably wasn't worth two or $3 million. It was really, it was a very small business. It was a lifestyle business for him and his wife and they had great products, but it was, it was relatively small. And, and he came and he said, you know, I want to, I want to sell my business for X dollars. And it was a fairly sizable leap from where he was to where he wanted to go. And he said, let's, you know, let's put a plan together where we could go do that. And so and we worked with him. He needed a management team. So we kind of thought through, all right, what's, what's that management team need to look like? Let's start to build your bench. He, his business was highly concentrated in the big pet retailers, Petco, PetSmart. So, hey, let's diversify that among more independent, get more of your, of your business across more stores. Let's work on your product innovation pipeline. And so long story short, that was a five-year plan. After three years, he had executed so well that he had already met his objectives, his valuation objectives. And so we, we took him out to market and he executed, um, did just phenomenally well with his transaction. He ended up staying on with the business, uh, it was a private equity company that bought his firm and they did the same thing. And he made more money on the second sale than he did on the first sale. But it was the thing that I really appreciated about it was and I, I would put this as the prototype of the owner personality that works, that, that's going to work really well with this planning process. You know, he's a lifelong learner. He's very intentional. He's goal oriented. He's a planner. And when it came down to it, he was willing to do, you know, what was necessary to execute. So that was a, it was such a fun process to be a part of and to watch him do that. And the business today, it's on its, so they sold it and then they sold it again. I mean, he's still uh, the chair of that business and they're continuing to grow. I, I think they're probably, I don't know, they may be a hundred times as big as when we started with him, you know, back 10 years ago, which is pretty cool. That's so um, cool. Now, flip side, this is a typical scenario and your, my guess is that a lot of your listeners are going to identify with this. So you get this call. You're a business owner. You get this call. Hey, I'm really interested in buying your business, Carol. And you say, well, that's interesting. I, I wasn't really interested in selling my business, but tell me more. And I'm a really good salesperson. So I'm going to convince you, Carol, hey, why don't, why don't you send me your financials and let's, 
And maybe, um, you know, I can put a deal together and maybe that month was really stressful for you. And you're thinking, yeah, maybe it's time for me to get out. You've done no planning, right? But you've got this phone call, this incoming call and boy, Chris sure sounds nice. I feel like they, you know, he could be a really good buyer for my company. So I'll ask you a question. When you're presenting your business to me as this buyer on the telephone, do you think, are you positioning your business the very best that it could be? I mean, are you, are you going to tell me the things that are wrong with the company or are you going to basically position your business in the best light you can? I'm going to tell you the very best possible things and paint a big old rosy picture. Yep. And I'm going to, and I'm going to say, that's terrific, Carol. I, I love hearing that about your business and I'm going to come up with a valuation based on what you've told me. So that valuation is going to be, we'll call it 10 million. And Carol, you've been, this has been a really stressful year for you. So 10 million sounds like a great number for you. So the next thing I'm going to ask is I'm going to sign you up to exclusivity, meaning you're not allowed to talk to any other buyers while we're going through diligence and negotiating this purchase agreement. And this actually happened a year ago. We got a call, this exact scenario, we got a call and the woman that ultimately became our client, she had signed this exclusivity in May and the deal was supposed to close in July. We got the call in December and the deal still hadn't closed. Why do you think that was? The buyer was negotiating them down, trying to, to nickel and dime them? Well, that's the, that's the perspective of the seller. I'm going to give you the counter perspective of the buyer, meaning, so Carol, you told me all the great things about your business. We came up with a valuation and a set of terms based on what you've told me about your business. As we get into due diligence, we figure out that, hey, like every business, we've got some warts here. And the first couple as a buyer, I might absorb, meaning, hey, I'm not going to adjust the terms of the deal. I'm not going to adjust valuation. But as those start to accumulate, as we go through due diligence, I'm going to get a little bit more nervous about the value that we agreed to. And I'm probably going to come back to you, Carol, and I'm going to say, hey, we need, we need to adjust this price. And of course, you're going to be upset. You're going to think I'm retrading the deal. And that's why we got the call from this woman in December saying, I, I need help. I don't know what to do. They've renegotiated. That deal started. You know, I think it was a $70 million deal. When we got brought in, it was all the way down to 50 by the time you get to me asking, you know, the buyer asking you, Carol, hey, we need to renegotiate this, the level of trust between us is rock bottom. Zero. There is none at that point, right? Exactly. And that's why a lot of times those deals fail. But Carol, if you were if you had prepared and you actually told your story, and we're big believers, when you when you tell your company's story, you wanna give them the full story. Meaning if you've got Achilles heels, if you've got issues in your business, tell the story around those. Now, I would tell you that having been through probably almost any particular issue that a company could, could have that's bad to present to a buyer, there's always ways that you can explain it and make it less meaningful. The other thing that I would tell you is if you have bad news about your business, if there's something that is problematic, get that out early. It's it's kind of like you tell your kids, right? Just be honest with me. Tell me exactly what happened and we'll, we'll deal with it. And for buyers, it's the same way. You, you earn credibility when you are honest with them and 
those issues won't surprise you down the road when, hey, this deal is going to blow up and you just have wasted, you know, nine months of time and a bunch of money. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, it sounds like there's so much of that that really just boils down to the expectation around it, right? If, like you said, if all the preparation had been done up front before that surprise phone call came in the middle of a not so good month, then the expectation would have been set from the get-go that there are these issues and then the buying side of the transaction wouldn't have been negatively affected by that. That would have been out on the table from the beginning. So that that makes absolute perfect sense. I think, again, you compare and contrast those two stories, right? One of them, business owner is very intentional, gave himself enough runway to plan, executed on the plan and got just fantastic results. The other one, reacted to an incoming call, wasn't prepared, suffered through nine months of just horrible diligence and renegotiations. And that deal, we ultimately got it closed, but she, I mean, she definitely left money on the table. I mean, in the tens of millions, probably. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's, it's probably worth pointing out that the same thing can happen with a bad advisor not just a business owner that doesn't know better. We had a situation, Carol and I, with our partner, were looking to buy a company last summer. And we spent, it was a listing company, a publicly listing company, well, not publicly, but it was a listed company that we got uh, off market, but through a broker. And we negotiated for six months. We spent a little over $12,000 on legal fees. and, And at the end of the day, six months into it, we started to see cracks in the story. As we were doing our diligence, as we were looking at the financial documents, as we were looking at the customer records. And like you said, one or two of those is like, okay, can be explained away. It's not a big deal. We'll absorb that. But as they pile up, you start to think, what else are they hiding? And even if there's nothing big that they're hiding, you find that hard to believe because if if somebody will lie or, or misrepresent something small, well you have to wonder if they're misrepresenting something big. So the same thing can happen, not just with an over-optimistic or a naive seller, but you also have to be careful about dealing with unscrupulous or just not good advisors as well. Oh, I totally agree. And I think, again, it's, you know, if you're on the sell side, again, I back to the, hey, how do you find a good advisor, right? Talk to your friends, talk to your references, talk to advisors that can help steer you towards that. And on the buy side, it's uh, it's tricky, right? Because you went into that deal, not necessarily knowing, right, that, hey, there's a bunch of stuff hidden. You yep. spend a bunch of time and a bunch of money. And that's where if you're the seller, you now think this buyer is an unscrupulous buyer. Well, you know, they're, they're just trying to nickel and dime me and negotiate this price down because they, they feel like they have me over a barrel. And the, the, and the buyer on the flip side is saying, well, they didn't really tell me all this stuff. As you said, hey, wh- what else aren't they telling me? And then, you know, am I getting a pig in a poke here that's not going to work very well? Absolutely. I think just a big old takeaway from this whole part of the discussion is the absolute cruciality. Is cruciality word? How critical, (laughs) how critical it is in this whole process, like you've been telling us during this entire discussion, is rather than being reactive, to just be proactive in making sure that you are doing all the right steps that you achieve those results you want to. Don't react, be proactive. Yeah, I I call it, do you want to be responsible for setting the table or do you want somebody else to set the table for you? And, you know, we're big, big, big believers that you want to control the agenda in all of these conversations, right? And so if, if somebody calls you 
and then starts to ask for information. You haven't prepared, so you're scrambling to get all this information together. You know, you're not in control at that point. They're controlling the agenda, they're controlling the timeline, they're controlling the process versus if you do the preparation on your own, come up with a, a good game plan, you talk to multiple buyers to keep everybody honest, you're gonna get much, much better results. Fantastic. Chris, this has been an amazing conversation. We really appreciate it. Um, I do wanna ask you before we uh, kind of wrap up here, if you had to give one piece of advice that you haven't already given to our listeners who may be running a business, thinking about selling, whether it's short-term or further down the line, what is that great piece of advice that you wanna wrap up with here? You know, I, I tend to think of, I always ask business owners, tell me about the biggest pitch sales pitch you've ever done. And tell me how much preparation you did and how much studying you did beforehand and how much energy you, you put into that pitch. And then I'll have them quantify the dollar amount for me. What was that pitch worth to you? Not in revenues, but in margin, right? What was that worth to you? And then I'll help them understand, you know, take that and multiply it by 10 or 100. And that's how much this pitch is going to be worth to you. So it's definitely worth the extra investment of time and energy. And quite frankly, the work that we advocate, even if you never sold your business, you're going to have a much better business to operate because it's going to be less risky and it's going to be more sustainable. I love that. That's that super. is fantastic. Okay, Chris, for any of our listeners out there that want to connect with you, to want, want to find out more about Capital Six Partners, that want to, uh, to find out more about your book, uh, what's the best way to connect with you? And what else did, would you like to tell us? Uh, email works great. It's Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at class6, so class V-I, partners.com. Chris at class6partners.com. And I mentioned to you earlier, we're happy to make, we use an assessment we call Copilot. You'll see that on our website. And we're happy to make that available to any listener that would love to understand their business a little bit better from the perspective of an investor. And uh, we're happy to make that assessment available. It's about 120 questions, so it sounds way worse than it is. It takes maybe 20 or 30 minutes, but they'll get a 35 or 40 page report back. And uh, we're happy to make that available. It's just part of our effort to help more entrepreneurs. We appreciate that. And for all of our listeners that are listening to this right now, check out our show notes because we will link to that assessment. Chris, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your expertise. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, thank you guys. And again, thank you for what you're doing for entrepreneurs. It's, uh, it's meaningful. We thank it. you so much, Chris. See you right. soon. Bye. Take care. Oh my goodness. How insanely awesome was it that Chris was able to full on quantify the number of hours it typically takes to prepare to sell your business? 1,500, right? I knew, suspected, I guess, that it would be a lot. But the fact that Chris and his team have put together a solid quantifiable number that is achievable with a lot of productivity and planning was really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was just a great episode. I, the thing that interested me the most in that discussion was the reasoning for not wanting necessarily to sell your business at its peak. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, you don't want to sell something to a buyer that a year or two years down the road, they're like, what did I buy? Because it's not going as well as it was. And that's a huge risk. And, and I imagine that being able to, to still make a reasonable amount of money, but not have to take on that risk, that just, it just makes perfect sense. Something I hadn't thought about, but will definitely keep in mind in, in the future when I'm thinking about the timing of selling a business. I agree. 
pretty awesome. Yep. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in this week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. That's right. We do. Let's wrap this one up. All righty. She's Carol. I'm Jay. Now, make sure you're preparing to sell your business every single day. That's a little different. Pretty good. A little bit of a twist. Gotta shake things up. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in, community. We appreciate you and can't wait to see you again next week. See you, everybody. 